from the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. Anytime I find myself in one of those conversations where you're just asking the other person if you've seen certain movies or TV shows, there's one show I always bring up. Have you seen Lodge 49? I ask. I am of the belief that everyone should watch Lodge 49, which ran for two seasons on the channel AMC before it was prematurely canceled in 2019. You can watch the whole series right now on Hulu. Lodge 49 is about an ex-surfer named Dud, played by Wyatt Russell, who's drifting through life after the loss of his father and the closing of his family's pool supply store. He stumbles one day into a rundown old fraternal lodge belonging to a group called the Order of the Lynx. Think of the Freemasons or the Benevolent and Protective Order of Elks. Anyway, at the lodge, Dud meets a luminous knight of the order named Ernie, played by Brent Jennings, who's also a plumbing salesman. Ernie welcomes the much younger Dud with open arms, and so begins my favorite on-screen friendship in television history. These two guys of wildly different backgrounds and personalities hanging out and also having some truly wild adventures together. Because running alongside this story of friendship and community in the face of economic downturn and social erosion is the mysterious legend of the Order of the Lynx itself, which is centered on some kind of alchemical philosophy that may or may not be true. Anyway, you mix all of these ingredients together, and Lodge 49 is one of the strangest, most beautiful works of art you can find on television or, for my money, anywhere else. The wildly original creative mind behind Lodge 49 is its creator, Jim Gavin, and he's my guest today. A writer, Jim published an acclaimed collection of short stories called Middlemen in 2013 before making the transition to TV. Jim grew up in an observant Catholic family and went to Catholic school all the way through his college years at the Jesuit Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles. Both the show and the book are shot through with Jim's Catholic imagination, and they remind me of work by other Catholic and lapsed Catholic authors like Walker Percy, Don DeLillo, and George Saunders, as we meet wounded characters searching for meaning and mercy. I asked Jim about his Catholic background and its influence on his work. We also talked about the current writer's strike in Hollywood, which Jim is participating in. He's such a thoughtful and warm guy, and I sincerely hope you finish listening to this episode and then immediately fire up Lodge 49 on Hulu and order yourself a copy of Middlemen. I can't wait to see what Jim makes next. You can subscribe to AMDG wherever you get podcasts, and thanks for joining us. Well, Jim Gavin, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for taking the time. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you about one of my favorite TV shows of all time, uh, Lodge 49, and your book, uh, Middlemen, Collection of Short Stories, which I just read and absolutely loved. Um, But maybe we could start talking a little bit about the show Lodge 49, and Mm -hmm. I'm sure you get asked to explain it to people. And I'm curious how you do that, since there's a lot going on in this show. And uh, maybe I could set you up to talk a little bit about it by a tweet that you right now have pinned at the top of your Twitter account, which is, you write, for anyone who feels like they are falling behind in life, the Lodge is waiting for you. So with that, I'll set you up to try to explain Lodge 49, maybe to, to some, some newcomers. Yeah, uh, 
Lodge 49 was like death for marketing people because they didn't know how to, um, you know, give the elevator pitch or the pithy way of describing it. Uh, for me, I, you know, I, in my uh, simple setup as a young man, joins an old dusty fraternal order and finds a mentor. That's kind of like, for me, the, the heart of it. Um, uh, it's a lot about mentorship and also just kind of the, the state of, maybe the state of the world post the crash of, of um, 08 and kind of the long wake of that as I felt it. Um, yeah, and so I, I, you know, uh, the one word answer is alchemy. It's about alchemy and um, both as like a, a metaphor and as maybe perhaps an actual thing you can do. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it's basically uh, about working people in a fraternal lodge and uh, their little adventures. That's it. Um, and, you know, we've built a whole kind of mythology around everything, but it, it definitely comes back to the types of people I know and grew up with and work with. And um, it's people who uh, are in jobs, aren't really going anywhere, kind of crushed by debt, um, but also can enjoy a burrito or a donut um, of a quiet afternoon. Um, so those are my people. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and like in some ways you could say, yeah, this, this surface level, that, that is certainly there. But then also, as you said, there's this fraternal lodge. That I guess if people like it's a, it's made up for the show, but I guess like an Elks Lodge or Rotary Club or, or something mm-hmm. in that spirit. Um, but you t- talked about the mythology, and I think maybe because of that, or just that it's really unlike so many other things. It really has developed an extremely devoted following the show, and people finding it after um, it had been you know off gone off the air on yeah. watching it on Hulu and with a cult following, I would say. And yeah. like, I was wondering, are there like, have you seen that? Do you, do you see that other like things that people do to like celebrate the show or be like part of it that just like really surprise uh, you? Since the show ended, I have kind of, cause I kind of was in my own world while we were making it. Um, uh, and we get kind of the odd sense of things, but um, since it ended, I think I've been allowed myself to like kind of, you know, uh, I'm I'm not on social media as much as maybe I used to be like six or seven years ago. Um, uh, but it, that I do see it and it means the world to me. And um, I, I do feel some obligation to be kind of a, a curator or keeping the flame alive in some ways, because I think new people are finding it all the time. Um, and for me that the show itself uh, is kind of, it's about finding something that's kind of hidden um, that you would normally look past. And I think the almost people who discover the show kind of feel like dud discovering the lodge a little bit. And, you know, there is a, you know, we, we've kind of built into this almost through dud's eyes of kind of this learning process of almost this kind of uh, hermetic philosophy of this, how this way of seeing the world where you start to like, look for signs and symbols and kind of getting some kind of deeper understanding of yourself. And the design of the show is to like make you kind of like pay attention. You know, Um, I wouldn't say it's uh, it's not a it's been called a slow burn or, you know, it's meandering. Um, Basically, you don't have a dead body on, you know, the first 10 minutes. Um, 
uh, it's a slow burn. So we're a slow burn. We're happy with that. Um, but I think I, the people who do find it seem to really love it, you know, and I, that means a lot to me. Um, and a lot of the things that I personally loved that have been meaningful to me as far as, you know, movies or bands and things like that are, are kind of fall into that care, uh, category. And so <laughs> there's a part of me that kind of just am, am accepting of that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to be, uh, yeah, it's just more punk rock in my, in my sure. estimation. So yeah. Know. And I don't know if slow burn is entirely fair because it's so funny, uh, all the time like you're yeah. laughing all the way through, even as the story is meandering and taking you ways you don't know, uh, where it's going. And you'd use the word again, alchemy is kind of a central theme in the yeah. show and something that, but for me, the show itself feels alchemical in the way you're talking about like this, this mix of, mm-hmm. uh, the, the mentorship relationship, the, the, people who had been like run through kind of late stage capitalism mm-hmm. and the way that that has like really brought them down, looking for something to like yeah. bring them together around. Anyway, there's just so, so much happening. Yeah. You could talk about it in so many ways, but for me as a show, uh, you know, a host of a Catholic show for me, uh, there's so many Catholic influences in the show and in your book as well that like, as I'm watching and reading, I just keep saying, Oh, he's one of us. He's one of us. He's one of us. <laughs> as I, I read along. And I was curious if you could talk about maybe how your, your, uh, Catholic background uh, and education uh, might uh, find its way into your work. It's, it's huge. It's massive. I think, um, you know, I, I have 16 years of Catholic education behind me. I was, uh, you know, very much grew up in a pair in a parish, a sense of a parish life. Um, my parents made a lot of sacrifices for us to like go to Catholic school and, um, that was like my sense of community. Um, uh, I went to a Catholic high school and it was, you know, very athletic focused and all that. But I think my, my parents, that kind of old school kind of, especially Irish Catholic kind of urban Irish Catholic sense of Catholicism is something that I inherited and it's in my DNA in some ways. Um, uh in college i think the more intellectual part of catholicism uh i i will describe myself as you know a lapsed catholic but like my kind of reverence for many parts of the tradition and the history and the the aesthetic um of uh catholicism is huge and it's it's something i do engage with and i uh it's very meaningful to me and um you know i think I'm, uh, Joyce is kind of my central, you know, everything for me, he's my favorite. And I think, um, his relationship to the church is something that I think I responded to myself, which is like both, um, you know, a certain independence and wanting to flee, but also it's totally embodied. And, uh, I think I'm mature enough to see the good and the bad and all these aspects of it. Um, and uh, I did go to a Jesuit college, uh, which was one of the best decisions I ever made. And um, yeah, I think that the that tradition of like liberal Catholicism, um, social justice, all that stuff is is huge for me. And whether I'm writing about it directly or not, the influence is there. And I think um, in Lodge, you know, it's it's buried a bit. I mean, it's suggested or, you know, 
the Dud and Liz were raised Catholic. Um, but it, it it's more, it's a different type. It's more concerned with kind of Western esoterica per se. But like, I think uh, that all kind of comes out of like the kind of <laughs> religious wars of the, you know, 16th century and all that. Um, so like, yeah, I'm, I'm a big nerd about all that stuff. And um, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think like watching the show and reading for me is like it calls to mind some of these Catholic, both like practicing Catholic and then like lapsed bad Catholic authors, especially like, you know, Don DeLillo and Pynchon, like certainly. And then you know, Flannery O'Connor, like George Saunders, like there are these in terms of I think in a few different ways that go beyond like, oh, the characters themselves either are Catholic or have yeah. been. And there's like the Catholic milieu is there because I think there's some other things going on I want to ask you about. Yeah. So like for me, there's like three big ones. Okay. So like, first of all, I think Lodge is like, especially like this communitarian show, right? There's a sense that like the way we are, you know, really isolated and separated and polarized and whatever. And then, but the strength is found like in this community and the way you describe like your own kind of parish background to me, that is like a particularly yeah. like a Catholic thing is that like a, the community and like, there's just not too many shows about like communities like that. Yeah. Um, so, so that is one. And then like a piece of the community, I think too, I want to ask you. So like the idea of a young person wandering into this old dusty club and the yeah. old people are surprised that a young person has showed up like that. I've worked in a parish that has happened over, that happens over <laughs> any time a young person shows up. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm interested in this. Uh, and then just people do not know what to do and do not know what to make of that. Yeah. Uh, so that piece would certainly rang true. Uh, to me. Um, and then I uh, then also, I think like, again, the sense of these phenomena that can't be explained, yeah. which happened a lot in the show. And there's and a lot of like, whether it's like magical realism, but like the sense that the mysterious is part of our life here. And like, there are things we just don't get fully. Um, can you talk maybe a little bit ab about that piece? So that is one thing that's different from your story collection yeah. uh, the, in the show that, that there are these kind of unexplained phenomena um, mm -hmm. we don't know what's happening. I won't say how the series ends, but yeah. it ends with this big note of mystery. So yeah, well, for you, like why was, why is mystery important and kind of going into that, that space? Yeah. Um, that's, that's a really good question. It's a very important one. Yeah. I, the, like my fiction till, up till now, um, in the, my story collection is, I, I would just say straight realism. I think there's one story is kind of at a certain heightened level, but like for me, it's, I mean, I've, it's very much out of my life, all of it. And, and so is Lodge 49, but I think I, the show and the kind of philosophy behind it, I think does allow and demand um, that you spend, that you actually look at these things that sometimes we just pass, pass by that like something happens and like, Oh, that's strange. But you just move on and then it's like another day and another um dud is the character who doesn't he it, they actually like uh are guideposts for him these like moments um uh whether it's a coincidence or just something or something he, he sees a vision he can't quite like where did it come from and there's usually some explanation for it but i think this one of the central uh i don't know obligations of of a work of art in my mind is to return to you a sense of mystery and that that's how you see the world again is to just you're kind of taken out of your uh normal routine and um 
that's that's very important to me. You know, I think like the the you know the Catholic Church is you know is always is built upon a mystery in a sense, and like there's a cent the central mystery of of the the history of this order and the alchemical um, precepts of it, and how much of it is true or not, and like how much is this legend and. Uh, but in the end, it's like how you it's your relationship to those things and what you allow in and how they make you think. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, that was huge for us is, is giving the viewer that that sense, that little chill that you have when something happens. You know, that it's when it's funny when you're like with a group of people and you start telling stories of this, like people almost forget that these things have happened to them. Um, but everyone has th these kind of these strange, uncanny moments um, of connection or just uh, perception or um, stuff like that. And I, I love that stuff. Um, there's a just as a quick recommendation, uh, please. Uh, Sam Knight, who's a great writer, I think he writes for The New Yorker. Um, he has a novel or no, it's not, sorry, it's not a novel, it's nonfiction called The uh, Premonition Bureau, which is about this thing that happened in the Britain in the uh, 60s um, in the wake of this disaster, which this colliery collapsed in Wales and like it, it, the Aberfam disaster, which like scarred a generation where this basically this black wall of of coal like covered a school and, and you know, lots of kids died. It was just horrible. Um, but it was such a psychically charged, crazed event that people all over England were like, had premonitions about it and this these this journalist and the psychologists were interested in in kind of figuring this out so they formed this thing called the premonition bureau to like can you actually stop one of these if you find someone who's sensitive enough to find these things but it will say that like that's the jumping off point but it, it is kind of just about how human beings deal with unexplained phenomena and perception in a way that's really uh beautiful and human and um i, th I thought there were a lot of touchstones with lodge lodge in it um of course i inquired about it and um and someone's already doing something with it but uh <laughs> you should read the book yeah no that sounds great and i think like alongside the the mystery is again the, the mystery even of some of these relationships these unexpected relationships and the the key one at the heart of lodge is this the mentor mentee relationship yeah. between ernie and dud you write also in in your story collection a number of these kind of mentor-mentee relationships. Uh, what about those relationships uh, captures your Im imagination? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, some, it's something that just seems to happen. Like, um, and I, I think in my own life, I've been lucky um, with mentors. Uh, I had an amazing mentor on Lodge, uh, Peter Ocko, who was a showrunner. I had no TV experience. Um, and in addition to being a great writer, he just knows everything about how it all works and has a great sense of humor about himself and the world. And, and I, you know, it's like, if I'm going to continue working in television, I want to be like that guy. And so that that's that's big for me. And I, I think um, sometimes those things happen accidentally, but like, I don't know, this the kind of more uh, the older model of, uh, you know, the trade where you're apprentice journeyman masters always made sense to me and actually my story collection for me is is structured that way there's like the first three are apprentice pieces then there's like a couple journeyman pieces and then the last story is the story of a master hmm. um and it's 
someone who's just like a full person in life and has been through a lot. For me, that's what mm. it means. And so um, I just find that beautiful. But I think what I am also is like sometimes like your mentors aren't they it's not like some wise man who has all the answers. They're just human beings who sorry, I'm not going to cuss them, who screw up as much as the young person and generally learn as much from the young person. It's, it's actually a two way street and a mentor relationship keeps an older person young and a younger person like on a hopefully sane path. Um, and those dynamics are just really, for me, like inexhaustibly fun to write about. Um, mm. Yeah. And for what, yeah. what uh, writing for Dud and Ernie is like, it's been one of the great joys. So, and we had two great actors playing that. So that, you know, just made it even better. In in the back of your book, you, you tell a story about your aunt. I'm just reminded of, again, you talk about in the, in that story, people like searching for mercy and searching for some sort of kind of support. And you, I think you have that off of the young people in your right. enlarged dog kind of uh, aimless after his father has died and yeah. his business has closed. And, and then you have again, other characters in, in the stories uh, that are, who are again, just kind of drifting and then kind of run into these, these mentor figures and searching for, for something, for something new and, and yeah. better. And so, yeah, the story you share in, as a, in part of like a, a Q and a in the back of your yeah. book about your aunt and this local priest, I just found like a really, uh, interesting one. I'm wondering if you could uh, could share that with us. Yeah, I, I think it's it's about my my aunt Eloise, aka Sister Christina, who's a um, for seventy years has been a nun um, of the Sisters of Notre Dame, and one of the most amazing dynamic people I've ever met. She's like a expert in Montessori education, has flown and lived all over the world, and um, she's currently in convalescent care. Um, and but. Uh, yeah, she. It was always a big deal when she came to visit us. Um, it was she's my dad's aunt, and she was just so like hip and full of life, and she always uh, seemed to just contrast like some of the like kind of older, kind of miserable <laughs> parish priests. We had some great priests, but some of them were just like the you know it was like a twelve year old like oh this guy sucks. But um, at one point we had a a, a our our particular uh, Monsignor who like none of this, no one in the school liked. He, he just was, he didn't connect with people. He was kind of harsh and no one, my mom, who's very involved with the parish couldn't stand him. She referred to him as father Hitler, which is in the most like not very subtle. Um, and so when sister was visiting us, my mom was like giving her the whole, you know, all the gossip from in talking about, all this telling all the stories about this particular priest and and then we were driving to mass and he <laughs> he walked out from the rectory walking across the road to the church and like we stopped and like uh my mom joked like to my dad like hit him uh it was kind of the sense of humor in our family and but he was walking off and like i just remember my my aunt was just watching him walk into the church and she just said something I'll never forget. She just, and he goes, Oh, he's suffering. Hmm. And I remember that just like absolutely stopped me. Cause we're all just kind of hmm. laughing and just, you know, ripping on this guy. And then, and she was like, not offended by that. She was all in it, but like, she just saw something else and, and was able to see, I don't know. I just such a beautiful moment of just like, People are suffering, even that, especially the people who you don't like are often mm. suffering. And um, 
I don't know. That that's something that stuck with me. That felt like a very deeply wise and something that a lifetime of her vocation had taught her. Um, and yeah, I think about that a lot. And I Lodge 49 is not a show with villains. I mean, there's people who are kind of acting in a certain way, but like maybe there's one villain, but um, they're ridiculous, you know? And so uh, I, yeah, I'm very interested in just kind of the flaws and how we get through life. Um, and I, I think, as you said, there's just, I think desire, I think we have a hard time expressing this thing of wanting mercy, like to be accepted and like, um, being able to just, yeah, be at ease with our own flaws and our humanity. So, yeah, I feel like Dud is like the patron saint of that, right? Someone who I, I just, in terms of someone who is, who is, who he is and, and to express that what he wants, you know, to say like, no, I want companionship. Uh, I, I want this, what you have here, uh, when he, and he arrives and, and meets the lodge. Yeah. Uh, so, and thinking about, you know, him and, and the world created in lodge and then the world in the world in middlemen. Yeah. You have a lot of specific professional worlds, people working in plumbing sales, yeah. both in the show and in the book in corporate sales and yeah. advertising at Hollywood doing stand up. And for me, like each one of those things, it's sports, high school, basketball, there's such like these vivid and true readings of these places. And like that, you just clear, I'm just paying attention. Like I'm reading this and watching the show. And I thought, I think of this quote from the movie Lady Bird about your work. Oh, I, I like Bird. Yeah. Um, Sister Sarah Joan, who's like a mentor to the high school student, yeah. Lady Bird, says to her, and it's in Sacramento, right? Another part, California, not in the bright lights, which is also where you <laughs> spend yeah. your time. Um, she says, you clearly love Sacramento. And Lady Bird says, I do. And she says, you write about Sacramento so affectionately and with such care. And she says, I was just describing it. And the sister says, well, it comes across as love. And she says, sure, I guess I pay attention. And sister says, don't you think maybe they're the same thing, love and attention? And just for me, like I just see that almost yeah. like every page, just like every again like, note and like the description of what it is like to go up and to do stand up or to be like in a in a soulless like advertising meeting. I mean, it just seems like you pay such good attention. And I'm curious like how you are able to speak in a way that feels so true about so many different, especially professional settings. Yeah, I mean, part of it is I've had a lot of failed careers, so that helps you kind of pass through these places. And um, at you know, I I never really took jobs thinking about writing about them. I always thought like writing, uh, you know, in my twenties when I was trying to think of myself as a writer, I was trying to write, you know, like a World War II novel, like in France. I've never been <laughs> never been to France, you know, like because that's what novels are about and. I was not until I was in my thirties that I kind of like really understood that I, I had been paying attention, but like I was that my life in all its mundane glory was worthy, was a worthy subject. It's enough. And that I do care about these places. I miss, miss them when I'm gone. Um, whether it's like a fast food drive through or, certain freeway on-ramp like you know for better or worse those are like my that's my world and i you know when i talk to younger writers i i often find you know it, i'm well, I was the same but like they they don't see their own life and they don't and it's actually 
a rare thing for a young writer to see that and care about it. But I try and tell like the sooner you see wherever you're from, uh, that it's like is is in its own mysterious way as like Paris in the twenties, like then you'll be the master of that, that little, you know, slice of the world. You can make that yours. And um, yeah, so I, 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 I love that. I, I, I feel like I'm a creature of Southern California, um, whether it's Long Beach or Orange County. Um, I now live, you know, I live in Culver City, which is kind of LA, which I kind of Hollywood adjacent, et cetera. Uh, yeah, I, I, in the dumbest way, I guess it's writing what you know, but it's, I think I do write from a certain point of view of gratitude, which was a big change for me at some point. I think I'd reached, I had had a couple losses in my life and uh, I just, yeah, I ended up kind of writing uh, with a sense of like, I kind of like this place with, you know, it's ter- as terrible as it is. And um, yeah, I think that I, I love that. That quote from Lady Bird is, is a lovely thing. And it's, you know, it's so, that's such a great, like, you know, Bildungsroman of, of, for, a, a, a growing a writer um it's a great portrait of an artist as a young person for sure. sure no and i i do feel like i get that sense that the people who are in these tough places like again like whether the in plumbing sales whether it's ernie and lodge or mm-hmm. costello in, in uh, that story and like they're having fun like they they like they value each other like you yeah. keep waiting for like the boss to be a big jerk uh, yeah. but they generally like are, they're like trying their best and they're failing some and it's not like glamorous, but there's some real, like there's life and, uh, joy, like kind of within, within that. Yeah. Today. I I don't know. There's, there's just a lot of personality. I mean, that was my experience of hmm. working in plumbing and the, there's a built in humility and stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah, you, that's what I'm drawn towards. Um, the, yeah, especially like at the time, I think even that's changed since I was in it. But like the plumbing world was like, it's just a lot of characters. and They're they're great, you know, and um, it was only later that because I, I, I would go, I would like, you know, see friends at a at the bar or something. And I'd like tell stories from work. And like I was just telling them to tell them. And like at some point, enough friends said, like, you should write these down because uh, I, I didn't even it would I didn't think it to do that. Like someone told me like that was worthwhile and I'm glad they did. Yeah. There's so many of these lines I was writing down. You know, again, this mentor mentee one, uh, the older like kind of plumbing salesman, your job is to go out there every day and get your face kicked in. It's the only path to enlightenment, uh, which again, talk about like finding the, the, <laughs> the reason to keep going in the middle of a, something that's, that's not as that enjoyable or fun yeah, yeah. Uh, or hard to learn. Um, Okay, I want to pivot now and ask you about something totally different that you're also involved in. Uh, we're talking in the middle of the, uh, the WGA writers' strike, uh, which has yeah. made a lot of news. And um, so, yeah, I'm just curious about your involvement with that. Uh, what what is going on? Uh, again, what are some of like those the top line things that you think are important for for folks to know about why this is a an important labor action. And I am curious too, as you're thinking about this and involved here in a union yeah. action and a lot of the characters you've written about are, would be in, would be in unions, yeah. I'm sure. And then some thinking about, about what that is and what, uh, and, and the importance of organized labor. So if you could, could kind of talk about that a little bit in whichever way yeah. uh, you're interested in going. 
Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud to be a part of the WGA. Um, you know, I think I'm naturally inclined towards, uh, labor having more power and, um, you know, but setting aside the specific, you know, uh, grievances and, you know, what want, what we want to negotiate, I would say that, you know, this, like every other writers, uh, like myself are, you know, all different ranges in the industry. It's the working more for less, which is the American story of like the last 30 to 40 years. And so the, this may seem like kind of like a rarefied fight, but I don't think it is. I think it really is. The WGA actually is, you know, has some clout like we're in. I think, you know, we're fighting, we're fighting for the future uh, for younger writers. And so they have a pathway to still do this, but it's also just in general of like um, you see the way uh, the music industry has been hollowed out by Spotify and stuff like that and the streamers. And that's kind of where TV is a kind of on this precipice. Um, and what the thread of AI, whatever you make of that, it's more about, um, the, the kind of streaming model, just squeezing writers, um, getting insanely rich off our work. That's it. So we are, we're asking for less than 3% of the massive profits that the studios have made. It's quite reasonable considering it's all from our heads and all our work on the ground. Um, so it, I think it's an American story in the terms of like, you have to fight very hard to get not what you deserve, but just a part of it. And, mm. um, and I think the writers are just really, it's, I feel a lot, I've been on, you know, we've been on the line all next couple last two weeks and we expect to be so for the foreseeable. And there's a lot of solidarity and the kind of an F you like, like this is the moment and um yeah we feel confident that we're you know uh a good negotiation no one no one gets everything they want but we're gonna mm -hmm. fight for what will maintain this as a profession because that's what this strike is about is like is this going to be a profession uh going forward um so so yeah, I mean, I, it's it is kind of rarefied. It's one of the few unions that like will have like you know some millionaires wandering up and down the line. But you know what? They're there too, and they are striking. The people who've been in the industry for a while are striking for, you know, the people who are working multiple jobs while trying to write in Hollywood um, who can't find a path forward. Um, there's a really good uh, George R. Martin actually posted a really great mm. uh, thing today um, that I think all everyone the guild would appreciate of like kind of the path his path through television is disappearing and it doesn't need to be that way it's a choice being made um so if you if people like quality content uh and i think the studios will come around to this they they need to professionalize and train the people doing it um so so yeah that's that's me uh on the on the uh on the strike, in the end, I'm just another goofy guy, like holding a sign and hoping people honk. So, um, sure. Uh, but yeah, we're we're in it to win it, and we will. So, 
And maybe we could go back just a second too to th- like for your own career transition. Again, the book yeah. came first, and then the show. Like, yeah. How did you How did you get into TV? Like, how did How did that career path uh, uh, um, work out for you? I really stumbled into it. I mean, I was. I'm someone who, uh, even as a kind of you know, uh, you know, privileged white guy. I, when I was 22, I thought TV was something someone else did. Like I thought mm. you went to Harvard. It was like, like there was no path. I had no sense of that. It was something I could do. Like I, mm. I spent college working, you know, multiple jobs. And I think the summer after I graduated, I just went back to the gas station where I'd been working mm. for years. And, you know, cause I thought, you know, I just, in my mind that that's something that other people did. And I eventually started writing fiction, which you can do on your own. You don't have to know anyone. I didn't know anyone. Sure. And um, so, so that was me. But imagine like, you know, you know, anyone like writers of color or from, you know, like just like, or, or from different economic backgrounds that like, uh, it's, it's a tough nut to crack. Um, and anyway, that's a, another topic, I guess. But the, for me, I I I I tend, trended towards fiction, and that became kind of vocationally who I, how I thought of myself as a fiction writer. And so I spent a lot of years learning that. And um, as far as like getting into TV, I in my late thirties, I had a book, but I was trying to find teaching work. I was living out here; I couldn't find any teaching work. Um, and I a couple of people encouraged me to write a, a pilot. Uh, and I had this story in mind. I didn't know if it was a book or, but it was at a time when TV was really like kind of bubbling and I was, you know, obsessed with like shows like Mad Men and stuff. And I could kind of see, oh, this, it was coming to me as like a TV show. So I went and wrote this pilot um, and I had a literary agent and he got it to some TV people who got it, who liked it enough that they sent it to Paul Giamatti and Dan Carey, like uh, became my producing partners. And they, they're just huge book guys and we had a lot of the same touchstones. So after that, it's just a series of like fluky things and you're threading the needle. It's really hard. Um, You know, I'm, I'm insanely lucky. The first thing I did made it to air. It might be the only thing I ever do that makes it to air. And um, just cause it's, it's really hard. Things can get like die at any point along the way. Um, And the fact that we, that Lodge 49 exists is a miracle, especially now. I think the, the app, you know, the studios are closing ranks and they're being way more conservative. And I get it. There's a market correction, everything, but like Lodge 49 could have only been made within like that period of time, like that, like four year period. Um, sure. So is that stressful in TV? Just because as you said, like you're writing on your own, like yeah. even if the story doesn't get published for a while, you can yeah. finish the story and then hopefully it'll find an audience. Even yeah. if that takes five years, it's okay. It's exists there. Yeah. But TV, as you said, it's dependent on so many other people, so many other decisions out of your control. Yeah. What was that uh, transition like for you? Like, like uh, you, mostly you know, it was life? good. It was different. I mean, I'm, I'm someone who I'm okay as a solitary creature, but I also in the right circumstance really enjoy the collaboration and excuse me with, um, with Lodge, the collaboration was incredible with starting with Peter, um, our writers, and then all the way through, you know, so I, yeah, I learned, I learned all that. I learned working with directors and actors and 
you know, um, our, I mean, like our art department and our production designer, I mean, those are like, uh, incredible artists and craftsmen. And, um, yeah, so for me, it, the one thing I will say, you know, AMC, they creatively, they really left us alone. I mean, they didn't promote us at all, but they also creatively let us do what we wanted. And so I, I would say I probably had as lucky a run as anyone in town has ever had um, doing it. And so for me, the, the stress was more creative. It wasn't like someone saying, no, you can't. I mean, we kind of knew what we couldn't do budget wise. Mm. And I kind of love that actually. I love the kind of constraint. Um, mm. And just kind of, we liked the idea of like over delivering, um, you know. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, once you're in production, it's a lot of work, but it's, it is, it's for me, it was, it was a dream. You know, I've had, like I said, I've had many jobs and um, yeah, this, except I bring in the gas is probably my favorite job just because it was fun so fun all the time easy but after that was making large 49 so there you go sure um maybe just two quick last questions yeah. one we you mentioned you went to a jesuit school loyola marymount being yeah. the jesuit show i do have to ask if there were any kind of standout either mentors or just experiences friends uh things from loyola that you refer that you think were important uh, uh like road posts signposts for you along uh, your journey uh yeah, I had, well, I had with some great professors, um, uh, several of whom are no longer with us. Um, kind of, uh, but yeah, the professors, but just the atmosphere, I think, um, on campus, it was, I was lucky I was got, I was, got scholarships and stuff. And it was small enough where I feel like if I had gone to where I was expecting to go, which is like Cal State Fullerton, um, I would have gone, I got lost in the mix or, you know, like Loyola was small enough where it's like, you know, there's a radio station, they broadcast through LA and I, you know, could go up and like, can I try this? And like, well, yeah, go ahead. You know, and same thing <laughs> with the school paper. Um, uh, yeah. And actually working on the school paper was probably a, a big one mm. for me. Um, uh, a friend who I, I believe, you know, James Keene, he was, a couple years ahead of me and he was the editor in chief and he he's the first person to publish me he published a letter i wrote which was like hmm. a really sneering sarcastic thing that he found amusing that i don't think anyone else did um <laughs> but that was you know that's a big deal it was a big deal and um uh and james actually himself was like you know kind of a pied piper he was um a, a jesuit for uh a while and now he's a, you know works as a great editor but his his kind of like intellectual chops and his uh you know his <laughs> we all kind of just were like trying to keep up with him you know and i think those that kind of cohort you have in college is so important and i was really lucky to have you know a, a handful of friends who like i was like trying to keep up with them they seemed you know what they're reading what they're listening to like all that stuff um that's how that's what kind of shapes you and sends you on your way. So in that sense, choose your friends wisely, you know, hmm. <laughs> hmm. No, for sure. So maybe just last I know. So you're striking right now. But um, in theory, like what what are you working on? What will you be or were you working on when you when you stopped? Can you yeah. tell us anything about uh, kind of where you are right now? Uh, I'm I'm at zero. Like I, you know, the last few years, the things I've tried to get over the line in TV didn't happen. Um, 
So I'm focusing on a book, um, which I think is currently 10 years past deadline. So um, <laughs> I need to get on that. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of floating. It's a, it's, it's both terrifying and also kind of freeing. Um, and I'm going to try a couple things. I don't, the last thing I wrote was I was my attempt to like, you know, this is gonna be a little more commercial and genre based and uh, no one thought it was commercial enough. So, um, <laughs> so maybe I've learned my lesson. So, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, you know, I'll say uh, it's, at some point of, I, I do get asked a lot about lodge and like finishing it. And I, sometimes I don't know what to say. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a tough one, but I, I don't know. I think there might be some creative way to do it in the future. Um, I would like for that to involve the cast, um, whether it's a another season of television seems unlikely to me, but maybe there's there's another way to do it. So that's in the back of my head. Um, but I'm also excited about the, the book and trying some new things. So, yeah, I'm 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 in a very lucky position. So, yeah, sure. Well, Jim Gavin, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for Lodge 49 and for Middlemen. Uh, just really gifts and uh, appreciate your sharing your gifts with the, the world. And we'll look forward to see uh, what comes next. So right. thank you again for, for all the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good night. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. And when we're not working from home, the show is recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. AMDG is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting Jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.